Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Lock a Day in Our Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner. Hello and happy new year. I'm back. I can't believe it. I made it back posting my first podcast or publishing my first podcast before we hit the double digit numbers in January. I was afraid that wasn't going to happen, but here we are. Um, so first things first. I kind of realized over break that, um, like I have no real way to communicate with podcast listeners the way I do the blog readers. I can put an announcement on the blog or the Facebook group or the Facebook page, which I suppose I still could do. Um, but on the blog, a day in our shoes.com, if you go to the main page or it's IEP, it's a day in our shoes.com backslash IEP dash podcast. Um, I have the podcasts, it's embedded there. So if you ever wanted to go listen or look for old episodes, that's where you could go. Um, I'm going to start, if I'm going to take an extended leave, I'm going to start putting it on there so that, you know, um, because I can't, I can't post on Apple and Stitcher and iTunes and all the other places where the podcast is. I can't, I'm not allowed to, you know, like send out notifications or announce or anything like that. So anyway, I did not intend for the break to be this long, but it is what it is. It felt like my kids were home for like six years, but they weren't. Um, Kevin had a zillion appointments. And in fact, we just drove up to Manhattan and back yesterday for another appointment. He has another appointment tomorrow. But here we are. I'm hope to be back into the routine. Um, Today I want to talk about, and this might turn out to be a lot longer than some of my podcasts. I try to keep them to around 20 minutes because I've been told that the average commuting time in this country is around 20 minutes. So that is why I try to keep mine to that length so that you can listen to them on your way to or from work. Um, but this one might be longer, so that's fine. If it is, you know, you can just pause it and listen Friday or Monday before Tuesdays comes. Um, I want to talk about writing IEP goals because I get a lot of questions on that from parents as far as um, how do you write IEP goals, who writes IEP goals, and things like that. And as it turned out, I'm working with um, a mom right now, and I'm really excited to be working with her because her son just turned three. And so this is his first IEP that we're working on. And I just think, um, you know, I didn't really get my feet under me and I started taking this course to become an advocate. I think Kevin was four and then the course was a year. And even though I had the book knowledge until you start working and attending a lot of IEP meetings and using the process over and over and over, 
Um, I want to say I didn't really get my feet underneath me for him until his kindergarten transition. So I just like this mom that I have now, and I think, gosh, he's just turning three. And like, how amazing would it be that I had this knowledge when he was turning three and transitioning into preschool rather than transitioning into kindergarten? Um, that would have just been so awesome. So, but it's great because I can look at things from her, through her eyes as a, as a new parent, as a parent new to IEPs. Cause she says to me things like, you know, I don't know what to look for. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know if these goals are good, who wrote them, um, things like that. So starting with the most basic, as far as who writes IEP goals, all things, all, everything on the IEP should be a team decision. That being said, if you sat down with your IEP team and did everything together start to finish, you know, IEP meetings would last days. You know, you'd have to have like a a retreat um, to get it all done. So it's not uncommon to kind of dole out the responsibilities and that OT will write OT goals, you know, sensory, fine motor, whatever that may be. The physical therapist will write PT goals and the vision teacher or, or, or O&M, which is orientation and mobility, um, will write the vision and O&M goals and speech, write speech. And then teacher, whether it be gen ed or special ed, um, they tend to kind of work together or it might just be one person's responsibility to write the academic goals. If the child has, you know, a special reading instructor or reading specialist, um, that person might work on reading goals and even writing goals. Um, But it just kind of gets doled out as far as who does it. That being said, which I say that a lot, that being said, um, that being said, IEP goals are a team decision. So the team should have input. The whole team should have input on what is appropriate, what's a priority, and so on. Um, You have to use your procedural safeguards if necessary, and you have to use the parts of the IEP process that are particularly conducive to parent input, such as your parent concerns letter and such as the PWN. Um, You have to use those portions of the IEP process to make your concerns heard. Because the, what the team might see as a priority for your child might not be priorities that you have at home. And you might want to, you know, eliminate some goals, change some goals, um, have goals for other areas of need that, um, that they don't have goals for. So the other thing I want to speak to is that there's no hard and fast number this is something that comes up often where they, you know, a parent is told, well, we can only have four goals for this, or we can only have six IEP goals. Um, this is not something identified or defined by IDEA as far as how many goals an IEP should have. Um, an IEP should have as many goals as, as the child needs, but you have to remember that, yes, they're only there six hours a day, 180 days a year. And for some kids, there's a lot to work on. And my child is one of those kids. And 
we couldn't possibly write a goal for his every area of need because all we would spend our time doing is collecting data and documenting goals and data. Um, we wouldn't have any time left to teach. So you have to prioritize and for some kids and I don't, I don't want to say ignore them, but you know, work on them. And, and yes, when there comes a point that there are too many IEP goals or, you know, a parent does request too many IEP goals and, um, you know, sometimes schools will say, well, that's too many and we can't collect data on that many. And, you know, that again, this isn't something defined by IDEA. It's goals are science driven and data driven, but at the same time, developing an IEP and the goals is part art, part science. And you have to find a balance between what can reasonably be done in a day or a school year, what is reasonable that the child can handle as far as being pushed um, and so on. You can also, another line that I know parents receive a lot, you know, when they ask for something, an IEP goal to be added, something that happens or is, they are told often is that, well, we're going to work on other things, but we don't, we just don't put everything in the IEP. And there's a lot of truth to that. Obviously, schools don't only work on what's in an IEP. They work on other things, and they may not be collecting data on every single little thing. This, for parents, is that, you know, you have to decide if this is the hill you want to die on. Is, you know, are you willing to switch out a goal and work on something that is your priority instead of something that they have listed? Or are you willing to put faith in them that it's going to happen without it being in the IEP. I know that I see things in my son that these skill sets develop. Um, one of the things is that he has started to independently he will take a rag or a paper towel and he will wipe the table when he's done eating. That has never been an IEP goal for us. It's obviously something that they're working on. Um, he doesn't have a lot of inherent learning. He doesn't learn by watching cues from others and observing others. Um, so I, he has to be direct taught everything. So I know that these are things that he is being taught. Um, another thing that he has started doing independently is he used to just get out of the car and he would just walk away, which, or walk toward our destination. Um, but he has recently, when he gets out of the car, he now will turn around and close the car door. That is something that I know he's been taught by the school as I haven't taught him. And that is not something that, again, that he would independently just pick up. So yes, schools do work on things that are not IEP goals. I know that my son is, is followed and taught and reinforced pretty much all day long. So I'm sure that getting in and out of the car and after he eats, um, and all those other things, it's, you know, it starts to happen and they do work on other things, even though there's not an IEP goal written for it. So again, you have to decide if you want to use your procedural safeguards and disagree with the IEP as presented to you in order to get a certain IEP goal 
in the IEP or not, if you're willing to let it go. Okay, so we went over who writes them. There's no hard and fast number. There's no minimum number. There's no maximum number. You won't find anything in IDEA that says how many, you know, they should have. Um, so then how do you write them? A lot of people, you know, most, most, most of you have heard that there's an acronym called SMART goals that your, you know, your goals should be SMART and SMART stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time bound. So that's pretty self-explanatory, specific, you know, you want to have a specific skill set measured. Now, where do you get that skill set? Okay, again, I'm going to go and point to your present levels section of your IEP. I can't say it enough. There's a blog post just on present levels. Um, present levels is the most important section of the IEP because it is the section that determines you know, that's where they gather the data for your IEP goals. So if there's an area of need and it's not identified, it needs to be. Because if it's not in present levels as an area of need, you're not going to get a goal on it. So, for example, I see a lot of kids who are identified with attention issues, learning issues, um, kind of that generic learning disability kind of thing, but a lot of students are missing that reading piece, that specific reading disabilities or reading deficits, reading skills deficits, whether it be decoding or fluency or comprehension or whatever it is, um, if that has not been identified, there is not going to be an IEP goal for it. You're only going to have, you know, your IEP goals for your attention issues or your ADHD related things. If that is the diagnosis or the learning disability that the child has. Okay. So it has to, if you want something specific like that, it has to be specifically noted in your present levels. Measurable. Um, I have a, a chart, a flow chart on the blog. Uh, it's just an IEP goal formula. I think if you look for it, it'll come up. Um, but basically it's just, it's just a flow chart with fill in the blanks that you can just fill in, you know, some times and some numbers and some percentages and the specific skill that you want the child to do. And it will turn it into a measurable IEP goal for you. Look at your child's IEP, look at their goals and look if see if it's measurable. A lot of things are harder to define, social skills being one of them. You know, it's, it's not measurable to say that 
a child will develop better social skills? Like, how do you measure that? That's, um, that's too vague. It's not measurable. Um, but engaging in two-way conversation, you know, taking turns in a board game, things like that are measurable. But just developing social skills is not a measurable skill by itself. Okay. And again, I have all of this on the blog. Um, yes, I'm, I'm going over how to write IEP goals today. But that being said, you know, you don't necessarily always have to build a better mousetrap or even build a mousetrap, period. You can just replicate the mousetrap that already exists. And I have literally thousands of IEP goals listed by different domains, you know, reading, writing, social skills, executive function, working memory, inference. Um, I have all of this on the blog so that you can just copy it and say, well, that's not a hundred percent what my kid needs, but I can adjust the wording a little bit and copy it and use it for my child. Um, so yeah, so it has to be measurable. It has to be attainable. So this is, again, the part art, part science. You want to have solid baselines. So you want to know what your child's functioning or performance is right now in this arena. But what is attainable for them within a year? Remember that you should presume competence. Okay. Um, there's nothing as far as if a child does not, does not obtain, does not meet or achieve their IEP goals in a year, that does not automatically mean that the child was denied FAPE. A couple of things can be going on if a child does not meet their IEP goals. One is that, you know, they were not attainable, that the child did not have that maybe the capability to attain, obtain that skill set within a year. Um, but yes, the other piece of it may be that the supports and services in place were not sufficient, that if the child had had different or more supports and services in place, they may have achieved that. Or that what is in place is great, but it just was not followed with fidelity. So you want to look at the whole picture if um, the child did not attain those IEP goals. You want to make them relevant. And this is where I find um, I find there's a lot of discrepancy or disagreement among IEP teams or uh, particularly, you know, parents in the schools. Um, and this is an area where Early on, I had, yeah, significant issues with my school. Before I knew, like I knew what I was doing, kind of. I knew what I, I didn't. I had the book knowledge. I didn't have it in practice. But one of my son's um, first IEPs as a preschooler, when I went, they said that the PT goal, and he had a lot of PT needs, um, but his PT goal was that he would be able to jump three times. 
and they tried to sell me on, well, once he has the skill set and the coordination and the core strength to be able to jump three times, that that would translate into capabilities in other areas, which, again, my child's three-year-old IEP was a big steaming pile of you-know-what. Um, I didn't believe it in my gut then, and I didn't know how to change it. But it's funny because this mom that I'm working with now, all these years later, more than a decade later, her son had this PT goal to jump three times. And I said, is that really a priority for you and your husband? And she's like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to ask for. And I said, can he climb in and out of the car seat? No. Can he climb in and out of the bathtub? No. Can he climb in and out of his high chair or feeding chair? No. Can he climb on and off of playground equipment? No. Okay. So let's talk about a relevant IEP goal here. Is it relevant and important for him to be able to jump three times? Or is it important and relevant for him to be able to climb in and out of his car seat and on and off of playground equipment? Okay. She did know, and this mom did recognize to me or did recognize and point out to me. And she said, well, he has a scissors goal, which again, a scissors goal is just, I think one of these just generic goals that preschool teams often just get locked into. And it's just a, oh, well, we always put this on preschool IEPs with this notion that once the child has the fine motor capability to do scissors, that that skill set will translate into other skills for the child. That might be true. I'm not an OT and I'm not going to play one on the internet. Um, however, my child I know has to be direct taught everything. And a lot of kids do. And what is a skill in one area is not going to automatically transfer or translate over into a different arena. So I said to her, well, can he feed himself? No. Okay, can he use a fork or a spoon? No. Okay, so let's get into that relevance piece again. What's more relevant for this child at age three to be able to use a fork or a spoon or to be able to use a pair of scissors? I think most parents know which one they would choose. So it's not... It's And I told her, it's not malicious. I don't think that IEP teams do this with malicious intent. It's just that they just get in these ruts of, well, this is this is a, a an important goal that a child needs. And they get too focused on academics um, as far as school. And like, well, to progress in school, they're going to need to learn to know how to use scissors. Um, but you know what? They also can't be six or seven years old sitting in the school cafeteria having an aide feed them because they can't feed themselves or just sitting there with their food in front of them not eating because they don't know how to use a fork. So sometimes they just need a little nudge in the other direction. And hey, you know what? I get it that my child lacks scissor skills. However, let's use the reverse knowledge. And, you know, if we teach him to use a fork or a spoon, that might translate into scissor skills. Who knows? Um, but it has to be relevant, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant. Okay. And then the last one being time bound. 
most schools use marking periods and school years to measure time. Um, it's up to you how often, you know, you want to ask for as far as checking in and what you want for your progress monitoring and what is relevant to your child's time and what you think they can obtain. Okay. Remember they have to make meaningful progress toward these IEP goals. So you have to, as a parent, really get in and, you know, get in the trenches with these IEP goals. A lot of times the data is there to get what you need on your IEP. Parents just don't really know how to dig for it and how to look at it and point out to the IEP team, hey, this is the IEP goal that you put. However, the supports and services in place aren't there to help my child get to this IEP goal. Okay. Again, you have to have solid baselines in your IEP's present levels in order to develop decent goals. Because without baselines and then without the solid goals, how are you even going to know if your child's making progress. So it's all about the present levels. Okay. Well, I'm not even at 25 minutes yet, so that's not even, um, it's not as long as I thought it was going to be. So anyway, I mean, that's how you write IEP goals. You start with your baselines. You use a goal formula to make sure that you hit all the criteria as far as being measurable, timely, and all that, and attainable. And then from there, that's when you go on to supports and services. I also find, while there's no hard and fast criteria as far as how many IEP goals or how many goals an IEP should have. Um, I find that parents want to ask for more supports and services, but you don't have enough IEP goals or you don't have um, meaningful IEP goals to support that. So I'll give you the example of a parent I'm working with and um, her present levels, she didn't know how to, she had the information there. She didn't know what to do with it. Um, she knew that her child needed more speech services, but she didn't know how to ask for them or what to point to to get more speech services. So I, I helped her dissect present levels. And we looked at the assessments that they did for speech and we looked them up online. And again, this can be a lot of work. I get it. I spent hours helping her and it's hours I could have spent, you know, playing with my kids or watching TV, whatever. Um, so I get it. Yes. Sometimes I'll admit I do get a little resentful at the time 
that parents have to spend doing this, but I just figure like it's kind of focus on what you can control. And, um, you know, it's out of my control. My son has an IEP. This is the IEP process. Yes, it's complex and cumbersome. So I suck it up and do it. Um, but anyway, so I'm, we're just dissecting the speech stuff and we find the assessment online. And according to the assessment protocol and all their data that they had on their website, it basically said that her child would, had the speech skills of a six month to 12 month old baby despite being he was significantly older than that. He's not six months old. Um, so I said, okay, so this is what the data says. Your data says this. You can translate that into your child has the speech skills of a baby, okay? Not even a one-year-old, a six to 12-month-old. So um, so that's where we are with his current present levels. Look at the goals, and then look at the supports and services. And they had um, two 15-minute group sessions for a child who is several years behind in speech. I said, do you really think that two 15-minute group sessions is enough to get him meaningful progress? So again, the data was there. She just didn't know how to interpret it and how to translate it to get what her child needs. So just you just have to dig deep. You have to, um, you know, do what works for you as far as time. I find for me that I get up, honestly, if I have to dissect an IEP, I get up at the wee hours of the morning, like 4 o'clock. And um, from 4 to 6 a.m., I just... I'll sit down with an IEP of a client and just do my research then without distractions, you know, a big cup of coffee. And before my brain has had time to do anything else that day, if I wait and say, well, because I've done this, we've all done it. You put it aside like, oh, I'll do it after dinner. Um, it just doesn't happen. Or I sit down with it at eight o'clock at night and I can't even like my eyes are hazy and foggy and crossing and I can't even, um, do it. And my brain is so dead that at that point, like you get a Facebook notification and it's like, Oh, look, a kitten. Um, I just don't, I, I personally do not have the, the horse cognitive horsepower at eight or nine o'clock at night to do this kind of thing. Some people do, if you're a night owl and 11 o'clock is your thing and everyone's gone to bed, you know what, dig in then. Um, but you have to set aside time to do it. Or pay someone to do it because if the data isn't there, we can get the data by asking for more evaluations. But um, you have to learn how to dissect those present levels to get your meaningful goals and to get decent supports and services to help your child make progress. Okay, now that's really all I have for today. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope to be back on a regular schedule now. As always, if there are any updates or if I disappear and I'm not publishing on Tuesdays and Thursdays, check the IEP podcast page on adayinourshoes.com and I hope to update that regularly. And you can always go there for episodes, past episodes. It updates automatically. Um, again, thank you for being a listener. And if you have any other IEP questions, find us on Facebook at... The Facebook page is backslash a day in our shoes IEP. Um, 
And then there's a day in our shoes group, 40,000 in the group, um, where you can ask your specific IEP questions. Okay. I hope to see you around. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Don't IEP Alone podcast. No parent should have to IEP alone. And with a day in our shoes, you don't have to. For more IEP assistance and letter templates, visit adayinourshoes.com. For ongoing assistance and support, follow our Facebook page and group. Come my way. Come my way.